Um, interesting, uh, book of Revelation. Revelation, the book of Revelation, um, last book of the Bible. And what we're going to see today is it reveals the future of Jesus Christ in his world. We're going to see as we go through this book, we're going to see uh, this is a prophetic book. What do I mean by that? It, it, what I mean by prophetic is it, it, it gives authoritatively with precision facts what's going to happen to the future of this world. And I love that. I love that we don't have to guess what's in store for us. We don't have to guess what's in store for this world because we have the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God giving us the, all the details of our future in the world. And the thing I love about the book of Revelation too, as we get to the end, Revelations 19, the second coming of Christ, we're gonna see who wins. And who wins is Jesus Christ, amen? And, and those that follow Jesus Christ. We are on the winning side, and that's what I love about this book. It's a book of victory, it's a book of revelation, it's a book that teaches us not only about who Jesus Christ is, but also a book that teaches us what he's got in store for us who follow Jesus Christ, and that's victory in the end. Um, timeline for the book of Revelation. Now, if you look at your uh, little timeline bookmarks that we have in your chairs, let's look at that. And, and this is going to be just the timeline we're going to see as we go through the entire book of Revelation. The timeline we're in right now is we're in the church age. We are in this age where the bride of Christ, the, the body of Christ, the church, is in this, this time of being the church of Jesus Christ. But then, at the end of the church age, we're going to see there's an event, which is the next thing on God's prophetic timeline, and that is the rapture. And the rapture is taking all believers out of this world in one big event. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18 talks about it. We're going to be snatched up. Our, our guest speaker last week, John Miller, said it's the Greek word harpazo, and it means to snatch away by force. And what Jesus Christ is going to do, I think soon and very soon, is he's going to snatch us by force out of this world, and what's going to be left behind is a church or a world without the church of Jesus Christ, and it's going to be wicked. Can you imagine no Christians in this world and no church of Jesus Christ in this world? And, and we're going to be snatched up, and then, then what's going to begin is the great tribulation, and we'll study in detail as we go through the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19 is all about the great tribulation that's going to hit this world. During that great tribulation time, what's going to happen is there's going to be a world leader. He's called the Antichrist. And that world leader is going to take dominion of this world, not only economically, not only politically, but also religiously. There's going to be a one world religion. And it's going to be to the point that by midway through this great tribulation, this Antichrist is going to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple, and then he's going to set up a throne in the temple. And then in that throne, what he's going to do is he's going to have the whole world worship him. And at that point, the Jewish nation is going to see this is not, this is not right. He's taken our temple, he's put his image in there, and they're going to see this is not who we're supposed to worship. And at that moment, the, the lights are going to go on. Romans 11, 25 to 26 says, all of the nation of Israel at that point is going to turn to Christ. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the nation of Israel will turn to Christ. And I believe that's midway through the, the great tribulation at the abomination of desolation, and it's going to bring in the final judgments of God upon this world, the abomination that brings desolation. And then at the end of the seven years, Revelation 19, when we get to that, will tell us that Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming back on a white horse. That's pretty cool to me, because that means there's going to be animals in heaven. 
Maybe you'll see your pet again. Oh, well, we won't go there. But there's animals in heaven because a white horse, and we are going to be on white horses with Christ, coming back to establish his kingdom here on earth for a thousand years. And we're going to see in Revelation chapter 20, Christ is going to come back. He's going to totally eradicate the troops of the Antichrist. There's going to be 200 million troops gathered together at the Valley of Megiddo. And then what's going to happen is he's going to say from the word of his mouth, the sword's going to come, and he's going to wipe out all 200 million troops. And the blood's going to flow as high as the horse's bridles for 200 square miles all through the Valley of Megiddo. And then he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. And his prayer that he taught us to pray is going to be answered. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. And it's going to be glorious. It's not going to be a democracy. It's going to be a theocracy. What do I mean by that? The king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, is going to be the king. And he's going to reign for a thousand years. And then at the end of that thousand years, as you look at the timeline, what's going to happen is going to be one more rebellion. Tribulation saints are going to have kids, and some of those kids are going to rebel. And then Christ is going to bring the great white throne of judgment. At the great white throne of judgment, what's going to happen is he's going to throw Satan into the lake of fire, and all those that have rejected Christ through the ages thrown in the lake of fire. And then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, we're done with the book of Revelation. Let's go home. No, we're going to study this in detail. That's just, a, that's just a sky view of the entire book of Revelation. So let's get into Revelation chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. Joe, just give me one little speck higher in the sound if you can. And let's, let's dive right in the first three verses. It says, the revelation, there it is, the revelation of who? Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Interesting. And he sent and he communicated by his angel to his bondservant who? John, the apostle John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he, notice, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For what does he say? Time is near. Now, first thing I want you to see here, revelation. What does that mean? It's a Greek word, apocalypsis, and we think of apocalypse as end of the age, and it is, and that's indicating that, that apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus Christ means the end, but the word literally means the unveiling of something that's hidden. It was used for when, in, back in the day of the Roman Empire, they'd have statues, and the statues would be brought forth to a marketplace or whatever, and they'd put a veil over the statue until the opening day of unveiling the statue. And what it's saying here is that this book is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And what he's had hidden in the past is now going to be uncovered as he unveils not only himself, but he unveils the future that he has for us and for this world. It's the unveiling, the apocalypsis. And that's one of the reasons I love this book. is because it not only unveils our future, it unveils things about Jesus Christ. This book is all about Jesus Christ. And we're going to see as we go through this book... Description after description after description of Jesus Christ. We have like 26 different names for Jesus Christ just in this book. Let's throw the names up there. You'll see these, these names describe Jesus Christ as he's revealed throughout this book. It's amazing. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus Christ, the one, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus Christ, 
the ruler of the kings of the earth, Jesus Christ, the alpha and what? The omega, Jesus Christ, someone like the son of man, Jesus Christ, the first and the last, the living one, him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, Jesus Christ, the one who died and came to life again, Jesus, the one who has the sharp double-edged sword, the son of God, Jesus, the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, Jesus Christ, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb. 32 times Jesus is called the lamb of God in this, in this book. He's the Lord of lords and king of kings, the faithful and true, the word of God, the beginning and the end, the offspring of David, the bright morning star, and the Lord. Jesus Christ. And as we go through this book, we're going to be revealed all these, what all these different names for Jesus means and what it implies. And it, it's going to re- give us a revelation of Jesus Christ as we go through this book. That's why I love this book. Because I don't know about you, but I'm all about Jesus. I want to learn more and more about Jesus Christ every day of my life. I want to be someone who's growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And as we go through this book, you will. And that's why I challenge you, as we go through this book, don't miss it. Be here every Sunday. we got 22 weeks in this book. We're doing a chapter a week. And as you go through this book with us, you'll learn more. And more will be revealed to you of who Jesus Christ is and what he has for us in store in our futures. Notice it says not only the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it also says, which God gave to show to his bondservants, including John, the things which, notice, must shortly take place. Hold on a second here. Hold on a second. Shortly, this was written over 19, almost 2,000 years ago. 1,900 plus years ago. Is shortly going to take place? What happened? Well, we, we, we studied that last time I was together with you teaching, Second Peter chapter 3. It's, it, it, we studied the fact that in the last days, there's going to be mockers and scoffers that are going to make fun of the fact that Christ hasn't come back. He said he'd come back. He's not coming back. Why were we told in 2 Peter chapter 3 why he hasn't come back yet? Because God's patiently waiting for more and more people to come to Christ. He's, 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 not, he's patient with this world right now, and he's waiting for more to come to Christ and repent. Because he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But also this word shortly, interesting word, tachos. It's a word from which we get tachometer. And it means speedily and quickly. And what it's saying here in this verse is that when Christ sets in motion these things in the book of Revelation, they're going to they're they're shortly take place. They're going to happen speedily. They'll happen quickly. You know, you've got a tachometer. What happens when you rev up that engine? What's that tachometer do? It shows the tax. It goes like this. And what it's saying is when Christ sets in motion the things in this book, it's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen fast. And we're going to see that as we go through the book of Revelation when, when, when the tribulation kicks in and judgment comes, it's within a seven-year period, the great judgment of God is going to sweep across this world fast, quickly. It's going to be like tachometer. It's going to fly. It's going to happen fast. That's what the word is saying. Also, it says here about John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all that he saw. Notice, it's not just what he heard, but it's what he saw. And we're going to see as we go through this book, he gets visions, visions of the future. He's going to get a vision 
of the rapture of Jesus of the church of Jesus Christ. He's going to get a vision of this tribulation period that happens of worldwide judgment, seven trumpets of judgment, seven seals of judgment, seven bowls of wrath. He sees into the future and gets a vision of these events that are going to happen. He sees, and I believe what happens is the Spirit of God takes him and transports him into the future. One movie that was coming out when Heidi and I were dating, I'm dating myself, mid-80s. Remember, remember Back to the Future? And he got in that time machine, and, and what was the guy's name again? That guy with the gray hair that stood straight up and, huh? Yeah, Dr. Brock Brown. He was just crazy, that's all I remember. And I remember he got in that time machine, and he's, he whoo, flew right into the future. That's kind of what happens with John in the book of Revelation. He's on this island of Patmos. He's the last remaining apostle. We know from later in this chapter, he was, he was banished there by the Roman emperor, emperor because, the, the, by the way, church history said that they tried to kill John. They put him in a boiling, Domitian, the Roman emperor, put him in a boiling pot of oil, and he went in there, and he came out just like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He came out unscathed. So the Roman emperor said, we can't kill him, let's exile him. Put him on the island of Patmos, this little island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's in his 90s. And he's probably breaking rocks with a rock hammer on the Lord's day. And it says, in the spirit, he's brought into this revelation that we have right here. And he's transported into the future. Just like back to the future. He goes in. And he sees the rapture. And he's transported to the great tribulation. Then he's transported to the future of the return of Christ. Second coming Christ. And then he's transported into the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. Can you imagine? He's getting these visions of all these great events. And then he's transported to the great white throne of judgment where the dead and, and Satan himself is judged and thrown in the lake of fire. And he sees these things and then he writes them down in this book, this book of Revelation. He saw these things. And then verse three, it says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For again, what does it say? Time is near. And if the time was near, 1,900 plus years ago, how much more near is it today? We are close. And here's the thing. I was talking to Heidi about this last night. We have all the signs in place for the rapture and this judgment that's coming and then the second coming of Christ. Everything's in place like never before in the history of the world. Israel's a nation again. It says in the last days, right before the end of the age, Israel will become a nation again. Guess what? That happened in this last generation. Israel's a nation again. We see that uh, the, the technology is in place for a world leader to have global dominion like never before. We see that the government is trying to get more and more control of our culture in our countries. That's going to happen during the, with the Antichrist. He's going to have total governmental control. We'll see when we get to Revelation 13. He's even going to give a mark on the hands and the forehead where you can't even buy and sell anything unless you have the mark of the beast, which is under his dominion and control. We're going we're to see a, a cross-reference in the book of Daniel. At the very end of the age, before Christ returns, there's going to be people going to and fro like never before, and knowledge is going to multiply. Can you say internet? It's amazing. We're going to see that there's going to be two witnesses in the book of Revelation where the whole world's going to see these witnesses assassinated, and every tribe and every nation has the ability to see the assassination. That's, we've never been in a time of history where we had the ability to do that until now. 
CNN, satellites, all these things are in place for the soon near return of Christ in the judgment that's coming. Now notice too, verse three tells us there's a blessing. Blessing is to those who read and hear and heed the words of this book. The word blessing there, it means happy. You can literally be translated, oh how happy are those that read and hear and heed the words of this book. You know, a lot of people uh, stay away from the book of Revelation. A lot of churches stay away from it. A lot of pastors will never teach this book. I think they're missing out. Because this is the only book in the, in the entire Bible that starts by saying, if you read and you hear and you heed the words of this book, you're going to be blessed. There's a promised blessing there. So again, hang with us for the next 22 weeks. And as, you, as we read these verses, as we study these verses, as we hear these verses, as we heed these verses, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. I don't know about you. I want to be blessed. I don't know about you, but I want to be happy. And one of the promises here is as we read and heed and hear the words of this book, we're going to be, we're going to be blessed. I remember when we started our church, our last church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, um, I, the Lord just told me two things. And starting the church. We were reaching out to the college campus. There was a UW Oshkosh right there. It was a campus town. And the Lord told me two things. He said, he said, okay, first of all, we're reaching out to the campus. And he said, if you feed them, they will come. And so we at the Hoppy House, when we first started in the church, we, we did a home-cooked free dinner for whatever college students wanted to come. And all of a sudden, every Sunday nights, every, all these college kids started showing up at our house. And then the Lord told me a second thing, and teach these college kids the book of Revelation. And I remember after it was out on the campus that we were going to have free dinner at the Hoppy House, and then we were going to have the book of Revelation, I got some calls from campus pastors. I remember one campus pastor, he called me and he said, what are you thinking, teaching the book of Revelation? That's way, too, that's way too serious of a book. That's way too complicated. There's too many allegories. You're wasting your time trying to teach the book of Revelation to these college students. And that's not what they need to study anyways. And I said, hey, 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 Revelations 1-3 says they're going to be blessed if we study this book. And he goes, well, well no one's going to come. You're wasting your time. Within six weeks, we had over 50 college students for dinner every Sunday night. Because there was this peaked interest among young people What's going to happen to our world? And I remember it was like off and running with the church after that. I remember we had to find some creative ways to, as church planters to pay for a dinner for 50 people every week. But we study this book, and I tell you what, it put an urgency in those college students to live for Christ. It put an urgency in their hearts to reach other college students for Christ. And we saw a lot of evangelism going on. Because what was happening was they were seeing into the world's right around the corner, let's get something done for Jesus, and let's live for Christ. I remember one time, a, a, a summer or two after we started, there was like 30 or 40 college students that all went to the mission field for the whole summer, because they were learning from the book of Revelation that soon and very soon, Christ is coming back. And so my prayer for us as we go through this book is not only that we'll be blessed, but we'll have an urgency, a new urgency, a new fire a new fire in this church to live holy lives and live for Christ. A new fire in our hearts to reach this world for Jesus because the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's coming back and the time is near. 
And may that just fire us up as a church to be all that God's called us to be. Amen? That blessed is he who hears and reads and heeds the words of this book. By the way, that's true for any book of the Bible, by the way, too. The Bible says you're going to be blessed. If you delight in God's law day and night, Psalm 1 says, you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. Your leaf won't wither, and whatever you do will prosper. And I love Joshua 1.8 when it talks about this, too. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you'll be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have what? Success. Success, blessing comes from reading, heeding, and hearing the words of this book. So may we be blessed the next several weeks as we go through it. Let's go on now. Verse 4. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was, or who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and notice, released us from our sins by what? By his blood. And he's made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And the church says, amen. Now, I want you to see something here. As he gets this revelation, it says, first of all, the revelation is not just for him. It's for the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, these Asian churches are uh, Asia Minor at this time, which is present-day Turkey. We're going to see in the next couple weeks, chapter 2 and chapter 3, that these churches are Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Ephesus, Laodicea. You can throw the map up there, Carlton. You can actually see it on the map. It's right above the Mediterranean Sea right there. And these seven churches are going to be spoken to in chapters 2 and 3 by Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to see messages of Jesus to the church, which is applicable because all Scripture is profitable for us today. And the same messages to these churches are messages that will challenge us, speak to us, rebuke us, correct us as a church today. So these seven churches, that's who this revelation was written for. Grace and peace to you. Now notice what it says about Jesus Christ. Jesus, it says, from him, Jesus, who is, who was, and who is to come. What does that tell us about Jesus? He's God. He's God. He's preexistent. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Another description of, of God is that He is the Alpha and what? The Omega. But notice it also describes the Holy Spirit. And it says that the Holy Spirit is the seven spirits. Now, I thought there's only one Holy Spirit. Well, it, it says seven spirits because the word seven or the number seven is for uh, completion, perfection. And when we get to the throne of God, we're going to see there's seven spirits around the throne of God. And so the Holy Spirit is around the throne of God. But then it also talks about Jesus there. Actually, the first who, uh, is, is God the Father who was and is and is to come. And then the seven spirits. And then it's Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Notice the first thing we're told about Jesus. He's a faithful witness. What does that mean? It means if you want to know who God is, Look to the faithful witness, Jesus Christ. If you want to know if God is loving, look at Jesus. Jesus told Philip, in seeing me, Philip, you're seeing God. If you want to know if God is holy, look at Jesus, who is without sin. If 
you want to know if God is merciful, look at Jesus, who said to the adulterous woman, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. If you want to know if God is good, look at Jesus, who healed lepers and gave sight to the blind and was so kind in feeding 15,000 people in one, one day. If you want to know if God is kind, kind, look at the faithful witness. If you want to know if God is patient with you, look at Jesus in his interaction with Peter and the other disciples. Very patient. God is patient. Jesus is a faithful witness. And let me tell you something. What Jesus has told us now is as he was a faithful witness to God, so we need to be faithful witnesses too because he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And one of the things we got to be aware of is Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you now to be faithful witnesses, right? I'm aware of that all the time because of you know, what we're doing in this church, not only with the size of our church now, but also with the radio program that we have and the TV show on Sunday mornings, everything else. Everywhere I turn, it seems like someone knows it's Pastor John is there. I was with John Miller on Monday, uh, our speaker, guest speaker for the men's conference, and Jerry Brown, the founder of our U-Turn for Christ, and we went to Eggs Up Grill before they left and went back to California and stuff. And I'm at Eggs Up Grill with with John Miller and Jerry Brown, and we're having eggs and stuff, and we're just yucking it up and stuff. And all of a sudden, the owner of Eggs Up Grill comes over to our table and says, are you John Hoppy?" And I go, yeah, why? <laughs> and he goes, uh, because I listen to your radio program every day at 5 o'clock, uh, which is right around the corner on the uh, water tower by Eggs Up Grill. He goes, I listen to your radio program every single day at 5 o'clock, and I could tell just by your voice that you're John Hoppy. And I go, Boy, I better give his waiter a good tip. And, I, and everywhere, stuff like that happens all the time. And I'm reminded when stuff like that happens is, is I need to be a faithful witness. I need to be the person that's representing God because we're all living epistles seen by men. And people are going to see God in us or they're not going to see God in us. Now, we all stumble. We all do dumb things. We all cut off people in traffic. I get that. But we're all called to be faithful witnesses because Jesus said, as a father sent me, so I send you, faithful witness. Another thing we're told about Jesus Christ there, he's the firstborn of the dead. Interesting, what does that mean? It means this, it's that he, when he resurrected from the grave, he, he took on an immortal, imperishable body. Now there's other people that were resuscitated, Lazarus, other people in the Bible that were, were resuscitated from the dead, but Jesus Christ was the first person that was brought into a resurrected state with an immortal, imperishable body. And so we too, when the rapture happens, the Bible says the trumpet's gonna blow and our mortal bodies will become immortal, our perishable bodies will become imperishable, and he's the firstborn of that. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me, what? Shall never die. The firstborn of the dead. Interesting. Another thing we're told about Jesus there is he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Interesting. What that's saying is when he comes back again, it's going to be a theocracy. He is going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's going to have governmental leadership of this whole world. He's going to be the ruler of the kings of the earth. Wonderful. I look forward to that day. I, am, I don't know about you. I am so tired of this government political scene we're in right now. It's going to be good when we get the right guy on the throne, and that's Jesus Christ. He's going to be the ruler. He's going to be the king. Of all the kings of the earth, he's going to rule. And he's going to rule well. 
And the Bible says when he rules during that thousand-year millennial reign, we're going to see when we get to Revelation chapter 20, the knowledge of Christ is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. When he rules, even the animals will be put back into a correct status with one another. Even even the, the lions and the lambs will lie down together. And not only that, the kids will be able to play with poisonous vipers because he's going to restore all of creation. He's going to be the ruler that's going to set things right. And I love this about Jesus, too. Not only is he the ruler and the king of kings and lord of lords, but look at verse 5. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and to the Father, be the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know what that's telling you about Jesus? He's not only the king of kings, He's not only the firstborn from the dead. He's not only the Alpha and the Omega, the one that was and is and is to come. He's not only the the greatest man that ever walked this earth because he was the most faithful witness to who God was because he was God in the flesh. Listen, church. It tells us he loves you. He loves you. And not only does he love you, he proved his love for you by releasing you from your sins, by his blood shed on a cross for you. The most important man and individual that ever lived was Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh, and he loves you. Don't ever forget that. And he proved that love, but God demonstrated his own love for you, that while you're at sinners, Christ died for you. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Isn't it something when somebody important loves you and shows attention to you? Doesn't that make you feel special? Think about that. I got a, I got a, a text this week from the regional pastor for all of Calvary Chapel, Deep South. He's with us every year at a men's conference, Sandy Adams. And he sent me a text this week after the men's conference. And it was just a, this is a great text. It's one of those things I just want to put, put on a plaque to remind me of, uh, of the way he just affirmed me in that text. He just said, you know, John, I'm so grateful for everything that's going on at Calvary Chapel Lexington. And so grateful for the men's conference you guys do every year. So grateful for the way God's moving at Calvary Chapel Lexington. He said, the best days are so ahead of you guys. God's got some big things in store for Calvary Chapel Lexington. So grateful for your leadership there that you've endured through different storms and stuff. So, and he just, woo, I'm reading this. I'm going, whoa. This guy's giving me some attention, some love here just through this text. And I felt important just by that text. And then I studied this and I realized... That's great being encouraged and loved by our regional pastor. But the thing that makes me feel more special than anything is there's a Jesus in heaven, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that loves me. And he released me from my sins by dying on a cross and washing me clean and making my sin as far from me as the east is from the west. He loves me and he died for me. And he loves you, and he died for you. Remember that, church. One of the greatest revelations we could have of all Scripture of who Jesus is, is he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. And he proved his love for us and dying for us. Don't ever forget that.
That's the revelation of Jesus Christ right there. Moves me every time I think about it. And one of the reasons why we have communion every month is Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't ever forget, Jesus said, my love for you. And let's even have a sacrament where you can remember my love for you, what I did on the cross for your sins. Then verse 7 says, Behold, he, who's he? Jesus is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, what does the church say? I say amen to that. This is not talking about the rapture. This is talking about the second coming of Christ. The rapture will happen first. The first coming of Christ will be for his church when we're snatched up in the clouds to be with them. This is talking about after there's seven years of tribulation, he's coming on a cloud and he's coming and the whole world's going to see him. Now, when the rapture happens, happens, not the whole world's going to see him. It's going to be, boom, out of here. But when he comes again, Every tribe, every nation, every people, the whole world, from the east to the west, just as the lightning goes from the east to the west in the sky, the whole world will see his second coming. And it's interesting. It says, and some of those people will mourn, and those people, I think, are specifically the tribes of Israel that know that their ancestors were the ones that said, crucify him, crucify him. And that's what that's pointing to right there. But some more revelation of Jesus Christ now. Verse 8, I am, notice the statement of deity, I am, Jesus, I am, the Alpha and the Omega. What's it saying? Alpha is the first letter of the uh, uh, alphabet for, for the Greeks, and the last letter of the alph- alphabet in the Greek language was Omega. So he says, I'm the beginning and I'm the end, says the Lord, who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. And then John goes on, verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos, again, that island in the Mediterranean, and he was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And he was there because he was being persecuted for bringing the word of God and the testimony of Jesus to the Roman Empire. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now, Lord's day, that's Sunday. And what it's saying there was he was in the Spirit, probably worshiping Jesus Christ on that Sunday. And the Spirit gave him this revelation. I want you to see that, church, because it shows the importance of church. On Sundays, when you're in the Lord's house and you're in the Spirit, that's often the time that God will reveal himself to you. Don't ever discount the importance of being in church because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am there in their midst. This is the place where oftentimes through his word and through worship, through fellowship, God, just as he did with John, will give you revelation, will speak into your life. And one of the biggest fears I've had with this whole coronavirus thing, I've been doing my best to live in faith instead of fear, but one of my biggest fears with this coronavirus thing is not all the people that are dying. And I pray for that. I pray for this virus to go away in Jesus' name. Because physically it's taken a lot of people out. I get that. But 99 point some percent of the people that get it aren't going to die. So my biggest fear isn't necessarily the physical ramifications of this virus. You know what my biggest fear with this virus is? Is it's Satan's attempt to shut down the church of Jesus Christ. It's Satan's attempt to stop the forward momentum of bringing the kingdom of God here to earth through the church of Jesus Christ. We see that amplified in the state of California. 
We got a governor out there that's made the statement, he's a liberal, unbelieving governor, he's made the statement that we're shutting down all the churches in our state because the church is high risk but low reward. Seriously? We, we give the greatest reward possible as a church, and that's eternal life and going to heaven instead of hell. Come on, we're low reward? But you know what? The promise that Jesus has is wonderful. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we'll, we gotta keep going forward as a church, no matter what our government throws at us, because Satan knows the time is short. He's read this book. Satan knows the scriptures. And so he's doing his best to shut down the church because he knows the church is the main vehicle God wants to use to reach the world and to make a difference for his kingdom here in the world. And we need as a church to keep going forward no matter what's happening in our culture. We need to keep pressing forward to the upward call of God that he has for us as the church of Jesus Christ. And John was doing that during the Roman Empire too. He was on this island persecuted because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now verse 11, saying, write in a book what you see. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And I, having turned, I saw, what, what do you see? Seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded around his breast was a golden girdle. Interesting. Seven golden lampstands. What's that? We'll go to verse 20, and we're told what the seven golden lampstands are. They're the church, the seven churches of Jesus Christ. Interesting to me, because what does that implicate the church is supposed to be about? What do lampstands do? They bring light. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Church, you, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then in verse 16, it says, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works, and they too may glorify your Father who's in heaven. The job of the church is to bring, to be a golden lampstand, bringing forth the light of Jesus Christ into a dark place. We're supposed to be illuminating the darkness of this world. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Now, another interesting thing here. What is Jesus doing with these churches? He's walking amongst them. And still today, that's true. That's why church is so important and being here is so important. Because we're the lampstand. We're his light. But he's walking amongst us when we gather in his name. Again, Jesus said we're two or three are gathered. I am there in their midst. And that's why I love church. I love church. I love church because this is the place I corporately get together with you all, and as we worship, as we hear forth his word, Jesus walks amongst us. We experience his presence here. I did a funeral for Walter Newman yesterday. Walter used to sit right back there in the middle, a couple of seats in. You don't have to move, He's, but anyways, that's where he used to sit. And and every, every week, every Sunday, up until he died last week, every Sunday, he would be back there. And the last couple times Walter was here, he was here in a wheelchair, but he wasn't going to miss church. I was talking to a gentleman before the service here, and we were talking about Walter. 
and he wasn't supposed to, towards the end of his life, because he was 90-some years old, he wasn't supposed to drive anymore. And his one week, Barbara, his wife wasn't able to drive. She was out of town or something. And this gentleman told me that he got in his truck and he drove here, even though he wasn't even supposed to drive anymore, because he wasn't going to miss church. And we had a time of family remembrance up here, eulogy during his funeral yesterday. And the one thing that every single person, family member, everybody said about Walter was he loved church. He loved being at Calvary Chapel, and, and they said whenever we'd go with Walter, he'd get start up a conversation with somebody, and he, one of the first things he'd say when he'd meet people, where do you go to church? We got this great church called Calvary Chapel. You need to come. And he loved church. And one of the reasons I love Walter so much, because he loved church, and I love church too. It's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. We should love church because this is where Jesus walks amongst us as the golden lampstands. We experience his presence here. And it says, and after that, the golden lampstands, it says in verse 14, and his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were in the burnished bronze when it had been caused to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of what? Many waters. And in his right hand, he had seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, don't be afraid. I think I'd be a little afraid. But don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive, resurrection, forevermore, and have the, the keys of death and of Hades. Write therefore the things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery, here's the description now. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So the seven stars Jesus was holding on to were the angels designated for each church, and the seven lampstands are what? The seven churches, right? Okay. Interesting to me, if you look at the Gospels, which is the narrative about Jesus Christ's life, there's never a physical description of Jesus. Have you noticed that? We're never told that he had brown hair, brown eyes, uh, whatever, big nose. We're never told anything about Jesus. But here in the book of Revelation, we're given a description physically of the glorified Christ. What's he going to look like in heaven? What's, what's the description here? Let's go back. First of all, his hair was white like white wool, like snow. You know what that points to? Purity. Absolute purity. And the beautiful thing about Jesus, you get to know him, he gives you that purity too. Even though you're sin of the scarlet, you become white as snow because he imputes to you righteousness through your faith in him. Second thing we're told about Jesus, description-wise, his eyes are like a flame of fire. What does that mean? Total omniscience. He sees right through us. He has the ability to, to know everything that's going on with us because he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. It says everything is open and laid bare before the one with whom we have to do. Another thing we see about Jesus here is feet are like burnished bronze. What does that mean? That's judgment. He came the first time as a suffering servant to die on a cross for our sins. He's coming with burnished bronze feet the second time, which means he's coming to judge the world. He's coming at Armageddon to bring judgment to this unbelieving world. Burnished bronze in his feet. He's coming with judgment. It also says his voice 
is like the sound of many waters. What does that mean? It means his voice is authoritative and it's strong. Interesting, when he comes back, we'll see in Revelation chapter 19, just his voice with a sword coming from his mouth is going to kill 200 million troops that are arrayed against him in the Valley of Megiddo. What? Just his voice. But by the way, that's the same voice that said, let there be light. And all the lights in the universe were turned on. It's the same voice that said, let us make man in our image. And he breathed into dust and human beings were formed. That's his voice. It's a voice that's powerful, that's strong, that's authoritative. Actually, the description, like many waters. When I was a 12-year-old kid, we took a trip to Niagara Falls. How many here have been to Niagara Falls? Remember, did you, did you guys do the, the, the Maiden of the Mist? We did the Maiden of the Mist. And I've always been kind of a risk taker, so when everybody else was like hiding inside the cabin of the Maiden of the Mist, they let me take a life preserver out and go to the front of the boat outside and hear the rushing water of tons of water coming over the Niagara Falls. And I remember I was out there for just a minute, and I go, that's enough, back in. But it was so loud, it was thundering. When I was reading this about Jesus, that his voice is like the sound of many waters, I was remembering that Niagara Falls and the power of those many waters. That's the power of the voice of Jesus Christ and the authoritative power that's coming in his second coming. Interesting, the description of Jesus Christ here. Another interesting thing about the scripture we just read is it, it gives us an outline for the entire book of Revelation, verse 19. It says, the things which you have seen, which is the first chapter, which is the vision of Jesus Christ, and then The second part of the outline is that things which are, that's the church age, chapters 2 and 3, and then it says in verse 19, the things which shall take place, place after these things. After what? After the church age. So it talks about the past vision of John on the island of Revelation, talks about the present church age that we're in right now, and then it talks about verse 19, the things that are yet to come, which is the great tribulation and the second coming and the millennial rule of Christ. And that's the outline of the whole book. Good stuff. Got through the first chapter today. God bless you guys. And I want, to, I, want, I want to challenge you again. Don't miss a chapter. Be with us. Be in this place where Jesus is going to reveal himself through this book of Revelation. And I want to give you five application points as we're closing today. First point. First point from this chapter. Be people of the Spirit. John got this revelation Because he was in the spirit on the Lord's day seeking the face of God. And if you want revelation in your life, be people of the spirit that spend time in his presence seeking his face so he can reveal himself to you. Number two, be people that read and hear and heed the words of this book. You'll be blessed if you do. If you want to be a Christian that's learning and growing and being blessed, be in the book. Be reading it, be hearing it taught like we're doing this morning, and be heeding it. Because you, you don't just want it up here. You want to not just be a hearer of God's word, but what? A doer, of, a doer of God's word, someone who heeds it. Number three, be people that are committed to being the golden lampstand and being in church. Realize the church is the lampstand, the place where God wants to illuminate the world. For, so be people like Walter, my friend, that love church and love the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. I want to be a part of the golden lampstand and the victory that's going to come to this world through Jesus Christ and spreading his light to the whole world. Number four, be faithful witnesses. 
realize that you represent a king. You're an ambassador for Christ. When you're out there on the highways and hedges at work, neighborhoods, family, extended family people, realize you are to be the light and the salt of the earth. Be faithful witnesses. Last thing, find your significance. Not in the stuff of this world. Find your significance in the fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords loves you. Bask in that. Realize you are important and you're precious to him, the most important man that ever lived. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has adopted you into his family. He's called you one of his and he loves you.